Suffering is not self. That does not mean suffering is an illusion. It means that suffering is something that can and should, in fact, be tended to by that which is self. Hello, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to this 49th episode of the Deep South Dharma podcast. This episode is being released May 31st, 2020, at the end of a week full of collective suffering and hopefully some collective awareness and action raising. We'll see. What I want to offer in this episode um, is some clarification around Buddhist teachings around self and suffering that I think can help us cut through complacency and also cut through some reactivity. So that'll be in a moment. I also want to encourage you to join us for times of allowing your system to gear down, to heal from everything that we're being exposed to and we are sometimes exposing ourselves to by going to deepsouthdrama.org and join us on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Central for Dharma study and practice in community with others. And also on Wednesdays, um, there is just a briefer uh, midweek meditation. That link allows you to join us at 11.30 Central on Wednesdays. That just lasts less than 30 minutes, actually. We um, we have a 20-minute sit. Um, people say hello, their hellos and goodbyes. Um, and, and then we exit by noon at Central so that people can get back to work. But we want to offer ourselves to you as a community of people who care, um, who care about you, who care about the suffering you experience, and who care about resolving the problem of suffering in ourselves individually and in the world. So with that, we'll turn to our topic, Self in Action. Many people have offered beautiful expressions of our collective grief at this time. What I want to focus on in this consideration today is how some misunderstandings about the Buddhist teaching around self can contribute to complacency, or to outright cruelty 
We are not called to agree or disagree with the evidence and existence of suffering. We need to recognize suffering. We need to know when it is the kind of suffering that leads to more suffering and when it is the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. And we need to know what gives rise to it. In Buddhism, you can see people trying to take on the idea of no self. It is an attempt at bypassing pain and grief. You hear people say things like, you know, when there's no one to suffer, there is no suffering. But this is not the experience of presence awareness of the compassionate, present awareness available in every moment. This is a confused, delusional response to life that is based on a concept, not an experience, but a concept. And moreover, that concept is a misunderstanding that sounds very wise and esoteric coming out of the mouth of the mouths of characters of of charismatic people. The Buddha never said there is no self. He just didn't say that. He taught anatta, meaning not atta, not self. In his time and place, he was surrounded by suffering caused by a concept of that time that the real you was a literal, solid, tiny version of you inside. And if you could break this body down, if you could could punish your body enough, starve it of food, twist it into unbearable postures, then you could break your own shell, so to speak, and be set free. So when the Buddha taught anatta rather than atta, he was correcting this misunderstanding. He was saying, there are no tiny people singing in the radio, and there's not a tiny solid person in you. And in the many debates that he held with people on this topic, the not self that he was teaching about was that there is not a self inside of you that is in control, that can control things. Not self means you are not what you think you are. So it doesn't mean there is no you. It is you are not what you think you are. And furthermore, he taught that whatever it is that you truly are is found by living a path, or in our terms today, we would say a program that covers eight areas of life that we know is the eightfold path. The Buddha was also saying experience is not self. Sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and thought are not self. These are sensory experiences, experienced by whom? 
by you. So since you experience sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and thought, it becomes evident that you are not your experience. Suffering is not self. That does not mean suffering is an illusion. It means that because suffering is not self, it is something that can and should, in fact, be tended to by that which is self. So I want to say that again. Suffering is not an illusion, but because suffering is not self, it is something that can and should, in fact, be tended to by that which is self. Very often, self doesn't so much need to study what it is as what it is not. To be aware of what it is not and unfused from that with mindfulness, curiosity, persistence, care. When you recognize that shame or grief or failure are not you, whatever is truly you can rise to the occasion to meet it with compassion, with patience, or courage. Sometimes we hear it said that suffering is created by greed, hatred, delusion. And I've probably said that myself, but that's not quite it. Suffering arises to clinging to those experiences. We cling to our comfort with those that we consider our own with people who are like us, who feel familiar, who feel like home, and we cling to fear or hatred of the other. Or we objectify the other in some sort of idealizing in our attempt to prove that we are good people. We forget it is the quality of our volitional thoughts, words, and deeds that clarify or obscure who and what we really are. Those of us who are walking this path, who have stated an intention or formed an intention in our own hearts to follow this path, have a duty to understand the causes of suffering and root out those causes. Those causes are clinging to experiences we like, and clinging to the resources that we think will guarantee us more of those experiences we like. Those causes include clinging to aggression toward experiences we dislike or fear, and clinging to confusion as a means to avoid wise action that we don't want to take, that we find unpleasant or fearful. I spoke to a friend last night who was, last night being Friday night, I should say. I'm recording this on Saturday. I spoke to a friend last night who was overwrought and overtired. And she called because she was feeling reckless. She called me to just to sort of run past me, to just allow me to be a sounding board to check out her intention to leave her home while feeling this reckless. 
She didn't like what she was feeling, but had enough wisdom to know that reckless action wasn't a real action. And so I asked her, knowing that she had had this wisdom to reach out to a friend, I asked her, what would be in your best interest right now? Her knee-jerk response was, I don't know. That is clinging to confusion. Her illusions about herself, her attachment to being a certain sort of person and wanting to be seen as a certain sort of person had created a cloud of confusion. When I clarified to her that she herself, whatever that is, does know, she then spoke from that place, almost immediately spoke from that place and said, with an exhale, I need to get some rest and maybe listen to a talk, and then I'll know what to do about the rest of the night. In that moment of being asked, what is best right now? What's the next right thing? She didn't even have to make a decision for the whole night. Delusion doesn't want to know. But because in herself, my friend seeks freedom from suffering, she called up a friend. And even though she had to be asked twice, when she really did stop to ask herself, she knew what to do, at least for right then, at least that one step. I am suggesting that in moments of exhaustion, of overwhelm, of feeling overwrought, that we stop, that we stop, take a pause, get some rest, breathe, speak to a friend who is not currently feeling the same way, or listen to a talk that offers some support or some skill. I'm not saying that we need to sink into complacency and try to numb out and distract from how we feel. Because again, complacency itself is a form of clinging to confusion. I'm saying that before we take the next action, we come to a full stop, which is an action in itself. And then let the next right action arise. One action, one moment at a time. Let's just give ourselves a minute to let that settle. just a reminder that by design, this podcast is not run off of commercial support. If you would like to be a sponsor of our podcast, you can do so by visiting anchor.fm slash deepsouthdharma 
and follow the instructions there. And if you're in the Oxford, Mississippi, North Mississippi area, please know you are always welcome to join us at the Oxford Practice Group on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. Information about that is at DeepSouthDharma.org. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.